We'll come over here, settle in, have a great conversation. Um, I actually, we actually know each other because Michelle is from this area, so welcome home. Madam, Thank you. Madam Undersecretary, it's so weird to call you that. Because I love <laughs> we, being in my hometown. <laughs> yes. Um, so you have uh, a long history in the private sector. Um, and, and I'll let you read her bio if you haven't already. Uh, but most notably, you were the Deputy General Counsel at Google. Um, what made you want to shift and work in government? Well, so I was born and raised in the Silicon Valley, and I've always been around innovation. And I grew up in the Silicon Valley at the time it was silicon. Semiconductors, it wasn't computers, it wasn't mobile apps or the internet. And I've always wanted to support innovation. So I was a computer scientist. I trained at the MIT Artificial Intelligence Lab. Uh, was on my way to getting my PhD in computer science. But I decided that uh, a lot of policy is decided by legal decisions. And in order to promote innovation, you do have the ability to influence it by making legal arguments and so forth. So, um, so I was at Google relatively young, uh, when it was a relatively young company, uh, a handful of products and services, search and ads. By the time I left, all kinds of products and services in almost every country across the globe, and really helping to build its intellectual property portfolio and supporting its growth. And um, after a while, you realize that if our system of innovation, you can't take it for granted that it will continue to exist. And if intellectual property rights are too strong, you disincentivize innovation. If they're too weak, you don't have enough incentives to innovate. So it's really important that the folks who are making policy understand the implications of their policies and the impact on innovation. So bringing together my Silicon Valley background experience in tech uh, as a technologist, as a legal advisor, and as a business advisor, I went to Washington to try to uh, make sure that uh, we have an innovative society for generations to come. So can you give us some concrete examples then of how your background with tech, with innovation, with startups, how does all of that inform your work that you're doing now? So everything that I wished the PTO would have done when I was a user of the services of the agency, guess what? I prioritized <laughs> them, I ranked them, and we started working on them. And so there's been a lot of talk about abusive litigation by patent trolls and so forth. And um, I had experienced it firsthand when I was in the tech sector. And a good part of what I do is trying to make sure that we curtail abusive patent litigation. Because if you're a small startup and you get hit by one of these lawsuits, it's expensive. There's just no other way about it. And so we are doing a lot of things both at the Patent and Trademark Office and also on Capitol Hill in terms of legislation and also just in terms of positions that the United States government takes on briefs to shape the development of the case law so that we can help curtail some of this uh, abusive litigation. And you know, you gotta weigh that because you wanna curtail abusive litigation when you're a defendant, but also if you have a piece of patented technology and somebody's infringing it and you're a startup and you're up against the 500 pound gorilla, you also have to be able to assert it and stop people from taking your intellectual property rights. So there's that balance between um, defense, appropriate defense and appropriate assertion and the ease of each. So has the USPTO uh, practiced anything like lean startup in its operations? It has, and I couldn't help but bring some of my Silicon Valley with me out to Washington, <laughs> D.C. That's so, a good thing. So I, I think it's a good thing, and I'm a, I'm a software computer scientist by training, and when I was at Google, I remember Gmail, we launched in beta form, and then we got stakeholder input, and then we revised and we improved the features and functionality. Well, guess what? At the PTO, we also develop, we do a lot of software development, and we develop tools for our examiners to review all of your inventions, and uh, we use the lean startup model, which is um, build, 
uh, learn and revise and improve right as you go along. So, so in our development of our software tools, we use the agile development model, and it's exactly that, right? Which is, it's not the typical government spec for software where you specify all every parameter and you build it for like seven years, usually over budget and uh, past the deadline, and then that's it, right? Yeah. There's a constant revision and iteration process with feedback from users along the way. So that's one element of how um, I think I bring part of my background to government and to the PTO in particular. Um, so based on your experiences to date then, and for everyone here who's probably, you know, they're probably percolating with great ideas, um, why do you think patents matter? So patents are an opportunity for you to protect your competitive advantage. And I'm not saying every one of your ideas should be patented. I'm the head of the Patent and Trademark Office. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying you need to determine what distinguishing feature, what's your secret sauce. Um, it could be a service. It could be a brand. It could be a piece of uh, uh, technology. And then you're going to want to protect it, because that's going to distinguish you from your competitors. And um, so patents do have value. I mean, in addition to the fact that, I mean, there have been studies done that after you get your first patent application, and I have some stats on that, um, you are, let me see here, um, you are uh, much more likely, well, certainly, to, you're more likely to get venture capital funding. It's easier to. And also, uh, you will experience uh, a 51% over, 51% uh, delta increase in terms of sales over a five-year period, and something like a 30-some-odd percent um, increase over a five-year period in terms of um, uh, uh, what was it? Um, additional innovation. So, so these these are concrete, measurable metrics. And honestly, you're not going to put all your time and energy and effort in developing a market and a service if your competitor can come right in and take it, hmm. right? And that's domestic competitors and then international competitors too, right? So, and in this day and age, companies are increasingly looking internationally, and um, people do take other people's technology and intellectual property. Um, they avoid the research and development costs and um, uh, the goodwill and energy and effort it took to build the brand. So, um, you know, whatever's right for your business in your competitive landscape, um, and that's a pretty complicated analysis, but an intellectual property strategy should be a piece of your business strategy. And it can always evolve as your business model will eventually evolve as well. Okay. Many startups are known as disruptors, right? They, uh, they introduce new products, new business models, new um, delivery methods into the marketplace. And government uh, is sometimes, a, you know, more of a hurdle than a source of assistance, right? Uh, so can you speak about some of those pressures? And what advice would you have for entrepreneurs about how to navigate those pressures so that they can succeed? So the more disruptive your technology or your business model, the more likely you are to run up against an existing law, regulation, or policy that was designed for the status quo. Hello, Uber. Uber <laughs> and others, right? So what that means is, um, and I say this now because I grew up in the Silicon Valley. I worked for a company that was relatively small, and we tried to pretend that Washington was not there. And we developed our cool products and services. But you realize that for many business models, in order to survive, Right, you do need to make sure that the regulatory and legal and policy landscape is conducive to your business surviving. And that involves, and so now that I've been in Washington and I've been in the Silicon Valley, right, DC and, and the other governments, they do want to support the innovative businesses. But you have to tell them how. 
right? So engage early and often, right? Share with them your models, your plans, right? Your goals, and you don't want the first conversation that they have with you after you've launched your product and there's a problem or there's some big oops moment, like that's too late, right? Like anything else in life, it's about building relationships, it's about bringing people along, and those in government are absolutely no different. So unless you're telling them what they need to be thinking about, um, why, what you're trying to do, you're much more, if you do that, you're much more likely to succeed. So engage early and often, and it's hard as a startup. I, I remember small companies, limited resources, but you don't have to do this single-handedly. You can partner with your, even competitors, on these issues, compete fiercely on technical features and engineers and market share and so forth, but on the broader policy issues to create an environment so that you can succeed, sometimes you do have a shared goal with your competitor and you can collaborate. But I would say definitely, I mean, like I said, the more disruptive your business model, your technology, the more likely you are going to encounter those hurdles and you want to make sure your company can not only survive, but really thrive in the new environment. So engage, engage early and often, collaborate when you need to, compete on other fronts, but uh, share that task. It's a, it's a heavy lift, but it's an important lift. Um, okay, because I'm a pragmatist, then I have to do a follow-up question. So, so that sounds good, but for all of our folks here in the audience, I would assume um, perhaps they don't have direct access to a government official like yourself or someone in the USPTO. How do you engage and make your issues known so that government can better understand what it is that the businesses need? So that was always, that was my impression too when I was out here in the Silicon Valley working for these companies. I'm like, I don't even know who to call. I don't know who to contact. But these are institutions that are available there. And now that I'm in Washington, I oftentimes want to hear from the small companies. I don't just want to hear from the big companies who have a governmental affairs department and a big legal department and who are monitoring every point of input. Right? I want to hear the cross-section of viewpoints because policies and programs that I implement affect everybody, whether you're big or small. So in order for government to do their job right, they need everybody's input. So the how-tos, it's really not that hard. I mean, and people are eager to hear what innovative companies need in order to succeed because what? It's job creation, it's economic development for these congressional leaders. And who wants to be on the slow end of that? They want to be at the front end of that. So, um, you know, depending on the issues, obviously the Patent Trademark Office, right, we have points of contact, we have a website, we have the Silicon Valley director right here in your neighborhood who's only one hour away from here. Um, <laughs> and those are, that's if you have intellectual property issues, but if you have legislative issues, right, definitely your congressional leaders, right, as a point of contact to start. And then from there you'll find your way. But it's really not that, I mean, it's critically important that you do engage if your business requires you to engage and it's critically important that you engage early. Um, not after there's an oops moment and there's something that happened that shouldn't have happened. Yeah. Um, well, you mentioned that uh, the director of your Silicon Valley office, he's standing right there, standing. by the way. So, like, yeah, bother him after Michelle's done talking if you have questions. Yeah, and if I could, <laughs> let, me just, let me just add to um, what the regional office offers. So, got a lot of entrepreneurs in this community. And this office was created for you. Um, the big companies can find their way to our, our office and they know the services and products and services, but things like, you know, how do I file for a patent? How do I register for a trademark? Um, hmm, I might ship my product overseas. What should I start thinking about? Or um, uh, the discounts that we offer to entrepreneurs if they are under-resourced, 50 to 75% discount on fees to accelerate 
the review of your patent so that you can get venture capital funding. Inventor assistance hotlines, um, what is it? A speed dating for entrepreneurs and startups where you literally have a finite chunk of time and you get the whole panoply of basics on patents, trademarks, copyrights, and trade secrets. It's Like I said, just be informed about these options and you can determine what's right for your business, but at least know what your options are so that by taking action or not, you're making a conscious decision and a smart decision. And like I said, it may evolve, your market may change, your competitive landscape will change, but so too might your business model and you would refine and review. So take advantage of those resources. There are so many cities across the country who wanted a regional office in their city because it supports economic development and startup activity. There are four across the country. You guys have one in San Jose, California. So you can go in there, you can talk to uh, uh, staff there, you can get your questions answered, and it's for free. It's for free. So, well, paid for by um, the user fees, shall I say. So that's a resource that um, learn what we have to offer and you can determine what's appropriate for your company. Well, because we also have a number of people who flew in from elsewhere, where are your three other so local So they're in um, Denver, Dallas, Silicon Valley, and Detroit, and then of course in Washington, D.C. But there are really so many resources that uh, the patent and trademark offers in support of innovation. And right, we can go on and on, but really mm -hmm. just check it out. You, you'll be pleasantly surprised, and you can learn a lot. And then maybe you'd go ahead and hire the lawyer afterwards, but you're that much more informed. All right, if you're not based here locally, Denver, Dallas, Detroit, the three Ds. All right, your work as director of the USPTO has taken you overseas more than once. You travel a lot. Um, in fact, right after this talk, you're getting on a plane and traveling elsewhere. She flew in from Washington just for this. Uh, you've been to places like China and Europe. What are some of the things that, you, that the USPTO is doing internationally uh, that might benefit startups? Yeah, so the playing field is not at all level um, when you go overseas. And the landscape varies a lot from country to country. There are some countries that share our intellectual property values, that respect intellectual property rights, and there are other countries, oh boy, right, you gotta be careful because the minute your product or service lands there, whether it's your brand, I mean, all the, all the companies in this room have a brand, right? And does your brand get used? And I mean, Apple had the unenviable position of literally having an entire Apple store, everything from the awnings outside, the furniture inside, all the inventory, all the employees, the shirts they wore, the logos, everything completely counterfeit mm -hmm. in China. Right, I mean, talk about a nightmare, right? And so, so, right, so we work with a lot of governments overseas to make sure that they respect intellectual property rights, that there are remedies and damages and consequences for infringement. And the idea is that we want all of you to feel comfortable shipping your products and services overseas with the confidence that you know, it'll be protected and it'll be, you'll, there, there are consequences for infringement. So that's a large part of what we do internationally, not to mention we want to make it easy for you to file overseas. A lot of the paperwork is oftentimes duplicative, so we're streamlining that. You have limited budgets. Whatever you spend should be as, spent as efficiently as possible, so we spend a lot of efforts on that front as well. Wonderful. Uh, well, we've known each other for a while. We used to serve on the board of directors for a uh, nonprofit here in San Francisco together. Um, we've even carpooled together. We have. And so it's uh, so fun now to call you Madam Undersecretary. Um, Michelle is fine. <laughs> I'm from California. <laughs> but um, you have a great background. I'll let you tell the story. What did your parents do? And um, what sparked your interest in innovation? So. Um, like I said, I was born in the Silicon Valley. I'm uh, a child of immigrant parents, and my dad's an engineer. And I think the whole Silicon Valley tech startup thing, I mean, 
there's nothing but upside to this. I mean, the economic opportunities that are created for all of us, no matter where we come from, incredibly tremendous. And like I said, you can't take it for granted that that will continue to exist. It does depend upon the policies that are formulated in Washington and elsewhere. Um, and so my dad grew up, uh, well, I grew up in the Silicon Valley. My dad was an engineer. I built a handheld radio with my dad in our living room. I didn't know that that's what girls didn't do. And I loved engineering and math. And so I went to MIT. And um, and all, all the, you know, the folks on the street that I grew up on, they were entrepreneurs. They were inventors. And the dads would tinker, usually dads back then. They would tinker in the garage. I remember my dad had circuit boards and resistors and transistors and breadboards. And we installed the burglar alarm system that is in our house. And we built the TV that sat in our living room. Yes, that's true. <laughs> the TV didn't always work so well, though. Did the burglar alarm work? The burglar alarm did okay. work. That's important. But, but that's the thing is, right, I mean, we've got to make sure that we continue to encourage that and that the creative, inventive aspects that are generated um, in this country have the ability to make it to the marketplace, that people are willing to invest in it. They're able to recoup their investment uh, domestically and internationally. So I feel very strongly about that. I've been all around innovation and technology in various phases as a technologist, as a legal advisor, um, and now in government. But uh, really, there's nothing, if we can take care of that, Americans are incredibly inventive, they're incredibly entrepreneurial, and so long as we continue to maintain those two characteristics, I think our country can navigate just about anything because that is, I think, the key to our economic prosperity. And people in Washington recognize that, but you need to help them know how they can help you with what you're doing. And keep in mind, they're, they're not familiar with much of what you do. They're willing to learn, they're willing to listen, but it, you all need to help them. And there are other people who will you know, help out along the way. Yeah. Well, you know, we're so lucky to have someone like you, really. It, with your tech background and your Silicon Valley background in Washington, D.C., I think we have our uh, interests pretty well covered and well represented. Undersecretary of Commerce and Director of the, of the USPTO, Michelle Lee, thank you so much. Thank you.